Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, good people, and welcome back to the Fitz on Fantasy podcast. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. You can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF, and you can find my weekly fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com. It's really nice to be back in the saddle again. I've been on hiatus for the last two weeks, mainly because my outstanding producer, Calm Kelly of Ireland, was vacationing here in the U.S. for a little while, and Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com offered to produce the show while Calm was away, and I know she would have done an excellent job. Melissa has been producing her own outstanding podcast and doing a fine job of it, but I decided to take a little break. We had family weddings each of the last two weekends, both of which involved some travel, and I didn't want to do a half-assed job on these shows because I was distracted and unprepared, but now I'm back. I'm recharged and refocused, and you are going to be stuck with me on a weekly basis again for the long haul. And let me tell you, I missed it. Doing this show for the last 16 or 17 months or whatever it's been has been a real treat for me, and the show's gotten better traction than I could have imagined. I mean, yeah, it's still kind of a niche show relative to the big dogs in the fantasy football podcast space, but... The download numbers have been encouraging, and a lot of you have left good ratings and reviews, or you've told me on Twitter that you like the show, and it's really meant a lot to me. So, hey, I do also want to give a special shout-out to one of my most supportive listeners, Posse Salmanen of Finland. Yes, Posse is an avid Finnish fantasy footballer. He really knows his stuff. In fact, earlier today we were debating whether he should drop Darwin Thompson or Justice Hill. And Posse has been telling his friends about the show. So Fits on Fantasy has a footprint in Finland, albeit a very small one. But still, how cool is that? And I think Posse might really enjoy today's show because he is a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. And joining me in just a moment will be Jason Wood of footballguys.com. Jason just happens to be an Eagles season ticket holder. And among the things we're going to talk about are the Eagles' inauspicious start and the related fantasy takeaways from it. But we're also going to touch on a lot of other subjects too. And there have been so many interesting developments through the first three weeks of the season. We can't possibly get to them all, but we are going to cover a lot of ground in the next hour or so. So welcome back, settle in, and let me once again thank you for being here and supporting the show. You guys are the bee's knees, and at this very moment, the ratty 20-year-old Milwaukee Brewers cap that I'm wearing is off to all of you. Go Brewers. Let's bring in this week's guest. Sure. 
Joining me at this time is Jason Wood of FootballGuys.com. I have been a Football Guys subscriber for a long time, and I've been a big fan of Jason's work for pretty much the entire duration of that time. He is, as Sigmund Bloom likes to say, a Football Guys OG. You can find him on Twitter at FBGWood. Jason, you were on the show last December, I believe, and I really enjoyed that conversation and have been very anxious to get you back in the guest chair again. And here you are. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks so much, Pat. Yeah, I mean, the feeling is definitely mutual. You know that I uh, I am very much a fan of your podcast. I have a very long commute each day because um, my wife and I met in college, and she was set to move to Colorado after college, and uh, I wanted to work in finance, so I had to talk her out of that. And uh, we've been together 25 years, but I, I've made her the promise that no matter what happened, I would never make her live in the city. So we live in uh, North Jersey about an hour 15 minutes away from my office in Manhattan. So uh, that's a long, long way, long winded way of saying I listen to a bunch of podcasts each week and uh, yours is on. Oh, my thanks, man. Well, that is a rough commute. And uh, I'm glad to know that I'm killing at least a small bit of that time each week. So that's uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, I teased this with my listeners a few minutes ago. You are not only a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but a longtime Eagles season ticket holder through thick and thin, and uh, there's been a lot of thick the last couple of years, but <laughs> we're recording this on a day when a Philadelphia man's interview with a local TV station went viral because he managed to get in a shot at Nelson Aguilar when describing how he helped save children from a house fire. So obviously fans are not very pleased with the thin they're experiencing at the moment as the Eagles sit at one and two. So Jason, as your Eagles prepare for a pivotal Thursday night game against my Packers in Green Bay. What's your nutshell take on the Eagles through three games? Oh boy. Um, well, thanks for uh, thanks for giving me a, a softball, Pat. Uh, starting off the conversation with a softball. Thanks <laughs> you so much. Um, no, but but seriously, uh, yes, you're right. I, I've had season tickets for uh, over 20 years, and um, listen, I I. We know each other. I think some of your listeners at least know me from Twitter and football guys. I try. I take great pride in being incredibly systematic and uh, balanced in my takes. I, I I try not to have religion with my takes. I, I'm very. I'm, I, I often will admit if I think I was wrong about a take and switch my mind if, if presented with new evidence. But the one, the one white spot in that because of my fandom is the Eagles. I, I tend to be irrationally critical of them, uh, even when times are good. And uh, so, as you might imagine, I think they're an absolute dumpster fire and I hate them. No, um, no, in all seriousness, uh, you, you have to be somewhat concerned. As you said, we're, we're one and two. Um, we, we're heading on a short week to your Packers who are playing well, especially that defense. So uh, I know statistically speaking, uh, one and three isn't a death knell, but wow, it would it, it is getting there, right? Statistically speaking, it's getting there. So uh, very, very frustrated. I, I uh, yeah, I, I'm just incredibly frustrated uh, to say the least. Yeah, what uh, do you see as their biggest problems right now? It seems like you know uh, they've kind of had a bit of a problem covering receivers for a while, and it doesn't seem like that's gotten any better. Uh, I don't know. Uh, th- it just seems like for a defense that stops the run as well as they do, and usually is able to put heat on opposing passers and, uh, you know, certainly has the offensive personnel. I mean, it just seemed like when they drafted Andre Dillard, it was adding to an embarrassment of riches on the offensive line. 
uh, enough skill position personnel, you know, even if it's sort of an awkward running back by committee. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like this should be an NFC contender. Yeah. Uh, I mean, where to begin, right? So uh, I give credit where credit is due. I, I saw this metric uh, from Warren Sharp. I think, you know, Warren Sharp from Sharp oh, Football. Yeah. He does this metric. It's basically an injury metric, but I, as I understand it, I think he takes. Uh, and if I'm if I'm bastardizing the formula, apologies to Warren and his team. But he essentially took a look at it. He takes a look at all of the like the, the injuries or mistime per snap, and he said that the Eagles last year were the not only the most injured team in the league, but one of the most injured teams term in terms of starter projected snaps in like a decade. Um, and and, and so you would have thought just based on on almost blind luck, we were due for positive regression there. Uh, but so far, that hasn't been the case, right? Um, you know, week one, we looked at least offensively explosive. Uh, and then subsequent to that, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey get hurt. Uh, Jason Peters, Andre Diller, Jordan Mayaleta, three of our tackles have all missed time. Mayaleta went on IR this week. Uh, you know, Peters is in and out of the lineup. Diller got hurt going in for Peters yesterday, which which – which prompted Peters to come back into the game. Um, uh, you know, Malik Jackson, who we signed for a ton of money, is already on IR. Dallas Goddard's missed a chunk of time. Derek Barnett, Kamu Grugier Hero, who's who was going to be arguably our most impactful linebackers, missed time. Barrett Brooks has been banged up. So, point being, we've been entire, we've been incredibly banged up already. Which which excuses excuses, but we're just not, as you noted, we're just not playing well really on either side of the ball. Um, we're twenty fifth in yards per attempt for uh on the ground which is just despicable uh we, we just can't it, it it's i'm still waiting for the first impressive run uh between the tackles um we have three fumbles already which is toward the bottom of the league we have five turnovers toward the bottom of the league uh and you mentioned it i mean i think if if you can you can set your clock to something about the eagles it's it's the strength of our defensive line but um th- they've been fine against the run as you noted but they only have two sacks through three games. They're they're thirty first in the league in sacks, which is just this this team is 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 built around the idea that the defensive line can get pressure without a lot of blitzing, and that allows our very thin linebacking core to do their job across the middle and keeps our defensive backs uh, from getting burned. And it, the formula is just not working right now. We're not getting pressure, and as a result, our defensive backs are getting clowned. Uh, so yeah, other than that, everything's awesome. Um, and then, you know, and then also, honestly, too, as, as I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch them at all, but but um, too many drop passes, right? Uh, I, I know Aguilar had two touchdowns this week, but he, he had another couple terrible drops. Um, he, he, he dropped the game winner the week before. I mean, it literally would have been the game winner. Dallas Godert um, dropped the easiest touchdown he'll ever have in the end zone this past week. So, you know, again, collectively, these are all excuses. I make no excuses for the fact that teams wanted to, but... Uh, they just need to play better across the board. They're just not playing to their to the expected level that we've seen them play before. And, uh, you know, maybe that evens out, but they really don't have much time to waste. Yeah, if Aguilar gets that one in week two, it's a walk-in touchdown. And, you know, you're talking about a two-and-one team and, and no one's sounding the alarm bells, at least not to quite a degree. Maybe there's some nervousness. Uh, so what advice would you have for Miles Sanders owners? And uh, I'm actually one. Okay. As far as how they should be regarding him, it seems like every time he's on the verge of getting going, he gets a touchdown run called back or 
he fumbles, you know, right after a, a big play. It just seems like he is uh, close to getting traction, but can't quite get it. So what do you see as the near term and maybe longer term outlook for him? Um, well, you know, I will say, I, hopefully you didn't overpay or, or the listeners didn't overpay for Sanders in the sense that um, I, I think the most logical outcome this season, regardless of his being the most talented back on the roster, was a committee just because we've seen no evidence that Doug Peterson and his staff don't like committees. And up until this year, um, the, the team has been extremely effective um, in the aggregate running of running back committee. So um, so I didn't, I didn't go in thinking Sanders would be uh, a workhorse or a fantasy stud, at least early in the season. I thought he, there was definitely, there are definitely paths to him uh, winning that role uh, by just being demonstrably better than Jordan Howard on a per touch basis. But as you noted, he, he's gotten off to a very tough start. And I, I worry it maybe it's in his head at this point. Um, if you, if you pay attention to snap count, it's, it's not, it's not going in the direction as a Sanders owner for you that you want to see. He, he was in on 48.6% uh, of, of plays in week one that fell to 43, two in week two uh, and was down to 34, two this week. Uh, and, and that's twofold. The, the not so bad reason for that is that Corey Clement, who was our going to be our primary returner this year, got hurt and Sanders took over that role. So I think the team, the coaches are taking a few of Sanders offensive snaps away because he's playing special teams. On the other hand, the bad news, and you touched on it, he's just made some 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 crushingly notable uh, bad plays, including those two fumbles this week. Um, and he's only averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, and he just looks a little lost out there. He's not hes not hitting the hole hard. He's dancing a lot. And um, yeah, it's pretty maddening. I, 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 I wish I had a more encouraging outlook for him. But I think, to be fair, I didn't come into the season all that high on him relative to the to the general analyst community. Um, I will say that uh, that that given his talent level and, and what should be, when healthy, a, a very effective offensive line, uh, I definitely would, would hold him. I, I wouldn't cut him. Um, even if he struggles another week or two, but I think uh, unless you're absolutely um, bereft of alternatives, you should uh, have him on your bench for now. Yeah, I think um, you know we are sort of used to this committee era, and as long as a guy has a prominent enough spot in the committee, and it's a, only usually a two-way or, or maybe you know a, a three-way with one guy in a specialized role, like it can still work, but. Um, you know, that assumes a very high functioning offense, I think. And, um, you know, the Eagles haven't quite hit at that level yet. So I guess I am, you know, inclined to hold and I am still sort of optimistic. But yeah, it's, it's been a little bit frustrating so far in the early going. Um, also with Carson Wentz, I think, you know, we probably felt that same sort of frustration Wentz owners have. Uh you and I talked about him last year, and you were pretty squarely in his corner. Um, and he was pretty terrific in week one out of the gate, but the last two weeks have been sort of rough. Any concerns based on what you've seen, or do you think he'll be fine? Um, based on his play, I'm, I'm not concerned in the sense that uh, he hasn't been great, clearly, uh, but he's been fine. As you said, week one, it looked like he was going to live up, if not exceed, his ADP, right? It looked like, okay, you know, if you drafted Wentz, you got yourself a, 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 an every week top three, top five guy. Uh, the last two weeks, have, needless to say, haven't been as good. But but uh, at least using um, football guy scoring, which I think is fairly standard scoring, um, he was QB8. He's QB8 through three weeks. 
and he's QB 12 in, uh, in weeks two and three combined. Um, which again, QB 12, you drafted him to be better than that, but it's not disastrous, right? I mean, he's, he's not, it's not like he's QB 20. He's not Kirk cousins. Um, so I think it's fine given, given the context of losing his top two receivers, uh, losing his, his arguably his fourth best receiver in, in Goddard for a chunk of time. Um, I, th- I think he'll, he'll even out, he'll be fine. The one area of concern, and this was an area of concern when we talked in December, and it was an area of concern in his near MVP year is just that he, he, along with a lot of these other young productive quarterbacks seemingly are fearless when it comes to running and standing in the pocket and just taking hits. And while, uh, you have to applaud him for his willingness to do that. Uh, he just takes vicious hits. I mean, just he's taken some huge hits already, especially to the ribs. Uh, and it, it does have me cringing because uh, I don't think you can you can break him of that that style of play. That's what got him into the league in the first place. So I'm a little worried about the durability. Luckily, he's a big dude, but he's already missed a lot of time in his career. But in terms of play, as long as he can stay healthy, no, I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, that's a good point about him taking these crushing hits. And I I don't know why that happens to him uh, as opposed to, say, um, Josh Allen, who who runs around like a madman, you know, a guy with his hair on fire, and yet somehow sort of slithers out of the big hits a lot of the times. You don't see him just get jarred that often in a game. But with Wentz, for some reason, he just takes some monster shots. And, um, yeah, given his health record, you kind of worry about that. Uh, Jason, you've shown some respect for the Cowboys on Twitter lately, uh, the, the Eagles arch rivals. Do you think they are legitimate Super Bowl contenders this year? Yeah, listen, I mean, it takes a lot for me to put respect on the Cowboys name, but again, I try and be objective and, um, I don't know if you're a football fan and you've been watching football the last few weeks, I don't know how you can't say that things look pretty, pretty good for them right now. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's lost on a lot of fans that the Cowboys have won two of the last three NFC East titles. I think most people assume the Eagles have won a bunch or the majority of the last handful because of our success in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. But but uh, but you know, it's the Cowboys that are that have taken two of the last three. And of course, that being said, they haven't gotten it done in the playoffs. And and I think there's this this. Uh, cloud over Jason Garrett, even though he's one of the longest tenured head coaches in the league at this point. But look, I mean, let's just break it down. Kellen Moore, who was the big X factor, they promoted Kellen Moore and made him the play caller. He's gotten an A plus right through the first three weeks. I mean, how can we not give him an A plus with what we've seen? He's, he's using uh, a a much, I think a a much more fluid pace. Uh, He's mixing up formations. He's mixing up tempo. Um, it seems like he simplified the execution, but just making sure that they can execute what they do do uh, far more precisely. So I, I have to give more an A plus. It's only three weeks into his play calling tenure, but but so far so good. Uh, the offensive line, which we all know to be elite when healthy, wasn't healthy last year. It clearly is this year. I think they're back to at least uh, one of the best, if not the, the best offensive line again. Um, you know, we were all worried those last few weeks of the preseason about Amari Cooper's foot. That seemed to have been one of those veteran injuries in quotes because he's been fantastic through three weeks. Jason Witten looks like he's turned back the hands of time. I mean, he's he's my age, I think. <laughs> he's, he's 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 on pace to right. He's I mean, the one thing about Witten even in his prime is that he didn't he didn't score touchdowns, and now he's scoring touchdowns seemingly every game. And uh, look, you know, Dak is playing out of his mind. I mean, Dak is um, making himself a tremendous tremendous amount of money but uh 
ultimately, if I take a step back, the Cowboys are fourth in points scored. They're fourth in points allowed. And, and they're balanced. They're fourth in passing yards and second in passing touchdowns. They're third in rushing yards and fourth in rushing touchdowns. So they're a top five unit pretty much across the board in every facet of the game right now. So, yeah, listen, uh, you know, unless this is some kind of weird fluke and the league figures out what's going on quickly, they uh, have to be considered one of the early favorites to, uh, to win the NFC. And I'm not sure how interesting the fantasy angles are with the Cowboys because it's all pretty straightforward with, you know, Zeke being a, a no-brainer start at running back and, and Cooper at, at wide receiver. Um, you know, Gallup is playable when he's healthy again. Dak is kind of the interesting guy to me. And and maybe just because people saw him as sort of a, a fringe quarterback one, high-end quarterback two coming in. But now, let me ask you this, is is Dak a top five fantasy quarterback in your estimation now that Kellen Moore is calling the plays? Uh, he, he, sure. I mean, he is so far, right? I mean, statistically he's QB two through three weeks behind only Mahomes. And if, uh, I have a feeling Mahomes is going to be the number one quarterback probably for the next decade, right? If he stays healthy. So being number two is about as good as you could possibly be. If you're not Pat Mahomes, um, he leads the league in completion, right? Almost 75%. He's second in yards per attempt. He's got the second most touchdowns again to Mahomes. He's third in rushing yards per quarter for quarterbacks. Um, he, if you watch him, I've watched a lot of their games. He's, he's spreading the ball around. He's making the right reads. He's minimizing turnovers. I, I just, um, I, 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 I struggle to find a, a flaw or a, a fly in the ointment. So ab- absolutely, uh, he's he's making himself. Just going to ask if if you were given a choice between Dak or say uh, Russell Wilson, who would you rather roll with? Oh, geez. Um, well, I'm a huge Russell Wilson, Mark. He's one of the guys that I, I had way higher than the consensus uh, in the preseason. So that's a, that's a great – That's you're putting him on the spot there. But uh, I think Russell's, what, the, the QB4 right now. So I, I, I love them both. Um, but if I had to pick, I mean, if in some magic wand we were doing a draft right now, I, I would take that just because of the supporting cast, right? I mean, the offensive lines are night and day. Uh, the running game is night and day. So I just think there's a lot of different ways that Dallas will be in games and, and Dak will be in a positive game script. Whereas I think Russell right now is being superhuman and he's done it before. So I do think he'll continue to be excellent, but uh, there, there are going to be games where Seattle's just not in it and just things don't go right. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. And I, I sort of knew your stance on Ross and, you know, we're both big uh, Ross advocates and, and just I think the difference maybe is Kellen Moore that, you know, the, this more enlightened approach to offense that Dallas has uh, as opposed to Seattle. And, you know, we saw what Russ is capable of yesterday and granted a lot of it was garbage time and, and, you know, putting up these circus numbers when uh, Seattle was trying to dig out of this big hole, but you know, the, the talent is obviously phenomenal and uh, you know, to put Dak on that sort of level. And I, I think that is what Kellen Moore has unlocked and, and Dak has, offered hints of it before and we're finally seeing it full on and uh you know just sort of it just sort of seems more sustainable this year and you know i, I think, have a question for you sure where, where where are you as a packers fan and a, an analyst whose opinion i respect where are you on aaron Rodgers and what you've seen of the packers offense so far because the team's playing well i think that defense is legit i certainly think they would have to be uh particularly if they if they beat the eagles and uh, put them down to one and three. I think the Packers have to be considered a an NFC contender. But uh, offensively speaking, particularly the passing game is has 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 been a little 
a little um, inconsistent, shall we say, so far. So where are you with 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 what you've seen of of, of, of your one under the floor? No, that's uh, well put, and I think so. I'm a little disappointed so far, although I'm sort of viewing it through. It's colored by the fact that they've played the Bears, the Vikings, right. sure. um, you know, Denver, which is not getting sacks or takeaways, but still has a pretty uh, fairly airtight pass defense sure. and three excellent defense. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, and I hate to pick on the Eagles, Jason, but I'm kind of anxious to see how they do against sort of a, a, <laughs> right, <laughs> a sure. leaky secondary this week. It's a get right game. You just, you just don't want to insult me, but that's fine. You can call it. A get right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just the way they started in the Vikings game, for example, where they just, you know, picked apart the Vikings defense for three series and then just went completely AWOL after that. So Sort of interesting. I, mean, I think part of it is um, I, I, it less about Rodgers than about the receivers. I, I still don't think they have a legitimate complimentary receiver for Devonta Adams. And, you know, defenses are really able to sort of roll coverage to Adams or try to lock him up with a, a shutdown corner if they have one. And Geronimo Allison is terrible. Um, <laughs> M- MVS runs really hot and cold. I mean, his hands are kind of iffy. You know, he's physically very talented, but um, I don't think he's reliable. And I think um, Gutekunst. I have a lot of MBS. I drafted him a lot of leagues. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's very possible he'll turn a corner at some point, but I think he's still just, you know, good play, bad play. Um, Yeah, and I I think it was kind of a mistake of Gutekunst to double down on these second-year guys, um, hoping that maybe Jamon Moore could – come around and that didn't work out as we saw in the preseason and MVS and um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, Oh, and also Jimmy Graham is just running around with a a fork sticking out of his back. He's completely (laughs) done. So um, part of it is the weaponry. Um, I I would be really interested to see what the Bengals would require for AJ green. Sure. Like that would be just to me the perfect solution once he's healthy again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know some people don't like trading into that sort of injury optimism, but you know, the Bengals knowing their history about paying guys, maybe they're willing to take a mid round pick for him. Um, Yeah. I just, I kind of think Rogers needs help and and maybe I'm excuse making for the guy uh, as kind of my, inclination i suppose as a packer fan but week uh, 10 antonio brown signing after he uh, settles these uh allegations oh God, no <laughs> please no <laughs> i can't take any more of uh, ab i know is he not the most exhausting as a fantasy analyst is that not is that not the most exhausting thing in a long time it really is man and it's just it's sad that it's taken up so much oxygen you know at the start of the season and um you know i just i'm kind of glad that he's away from the game for a while and We'll see if he gets signed, but uh, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, quite honestly. Um, you made an interesting point on Twitter the other day, Jason, about Patrick Mahomes suddenly looking like this tremendous draft day value. And and in most home leagues, he was going second round or maybe even sneaking into the first. But fantasy analysts on the whole were, I don't know, were we just too blasé about Mahomes? Uh just this assumption that he could not repeat the rookie year numbers, and that was that. I mean, how did so many of us fail to see that he was actually a value as a third rounder? 
Yeah, I mean, were we too blasé as an industry? I, I'd say yes and no, um, and, and I'll, I guess I'll unpack that. I mean, the, the vast majority of, of the fantasy analyst community had Mahomes as the number one quarterback, right? So, so it wasn't like, right? So, so on the on the most pure numerical level, we had it right, right? That he would be the best quarterback. Um, but I think where we missed the mark, and and this can happen from time to time, is because we we have a collective industry obsession with waiting on quarterback, right? Um, I mean, and and look, it, it made all the sense in the world this year to wait on say taking Deshaun Watson, who was the second quarterback in ADP or Matt Ryan or Aaron Rodgers, you know, after Mahomes. So whenever Mahomes went in your draft, inevitably some, some other person in your league probably took one of those guys around or two later. And, and that wasn't a smart move um, because that presumes that they wouldn't, they would only be incrementally beneath um, Mahomes. But uh, I mean, funnily enough, you, you kind of hinted at it, that this is one of those cases where the general fandom, I think got it right. And we, we outsmarted ourselves as a, as analysts Uh you know, his Mahomes is ADP in, in let's say, non-expert leagues, for lack of a better term, uh, was late first round, right? I mean, he, he was late first round, early second in, in leagues that weren't supposedly filled with quote-unquote experts. But he routinely went in the fourth round or later in all of the, the, the drafts that we participate in or talk about. Uh, and I think it's not an entirely illogical gaffe. Um, you know, again, we all believe in waiting on QB, and I think there's merit to that generally because uh, of the interchangeable nature of, of quarterback. And if you're not in a super flex or a two QB league, there's almost always a few starters available somehow, some way. And as you and I know, uh, the leagues change the rules so much to support offenses and passing that, uh, we've never had a deeper, um, we've, you know, we've never had a deeper crop of, of viable quarterbacks. So, um, yeah, so, so I can understand how we, how we whiffed on him, but, uh, but yes, I do think we whiffed, and I think the confusion is this idea of, of regression. Um, there, there's no question after a year like Mahomes had that the most likely outcome is meaningful regression. But when we we always say that that our job is to figure out the outcomes, meaning you know plural, and then kind of weight them against one another and come up with what that means versus the other viable choices in a draft position, and um, it didn't it didn't take much to to just crunch some numbers, right? And, and say if Mahomes regressed 20% from last year, he was still definitively the top quarterback. And that that usually, if you just look at value-based drafting at X value, usually the top quarterback is worth a, a, a late second, early third round pick at the worst. Um, and that really should have been the latest he went anywhere. Um, but then the, what we probably couldn't have any reason to think is that through three weeks, he's he's on pace to beat last year's numbers, right? Which is ridiculous. I mean, through three weeks, he's on pace for almost 6,400 yards and 53 touchdowns and no interceptions. So he's probably not going to keep up this pace. In fact, it's it's almost assured. But man, oh man, I, you, I know you're right there with me. Having watched him play, he makes it look so easy. I don't have a ton of confidence that he's not going to keep up this pace because it doesn't seem like he's been particularly lucky so far. And that's why he was such a knuckleball for us to try to hit because when Tom Brady had his 50 touchdown season, you know, we could just look at his baseline numbers from the past and say, well, okay, right. you know, the regression right. is due. He's been a, a high 30s guy or mid 30s guy for most of his career. When a guy comes out and puts up 50 touchdowns in year one, you know, what, what is the, there's no fallback. Like, what do we, <laughs> what do we expect? Sure, it's, yeah, if, if you're, 
taking even money on whether he hits 50 again, you're probably betting the under. But yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around, I think, not expecting him to be so much better than the you know baseline QB1 at the position. Um, as you mentioned, next, next year will be the year because we'll have another MVP year this year. Next year, he'll go in the first round. Half the fantasy analyst community will endorse that, and he'll have a fall off. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's when it turns into year tour of uh, Cordell exactly. Stewart. <laughs> that's right. Jason, while we're on the Chiefs, uh, what are you doing if you own either Demarcus Robinson or Nicole Hardman? I mean, it seems like they're startable, very startable now, but they're going to take major value hits when Tyreek Hill comes back in a few weeks, and maybe it's just you know another a week or two. So do you agree with that assessment or do you just hold them through these first few bye weeks and play them as needed or would you try to sell? I mean, can can Mahomes float these guys even after Tyreek gets back? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, first of all, what am I doing? I'm doing the Humpty Dance of, of Glee because uh, it's been fun. It is fun right now to own any of them. But um, well, also, let's not forget about Sammy Watkins, right? Who who I presume you did mention because you're assuming his role is safe with or without Hill. But uh, Watkins is, you know, number third, number three receiver after three weeks uh, in PPR. So, um, which is far and above anything that we all expect, or at least I expected, or I think the general consensus expected. And um, so, we'll put him to the side though, because I think he's he's given the potency of this offense. I think with or without Tyreek, Sammy's still a starter, and that means uh, if anyone that drafted him in the 30s where he was going or late 20s is 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 got him got themselves a great value pick. Um, as to Demarcus Robinson and Miko, uh, Robinson is uh, wide receiver 19 through three week, three games. Hardman is wide receiver 45 in PPR. But as you know, that that's really doesn't tell the whole story for him because uh, he had a 72-yard touchdown call back in week two on a holding penalty. And uh, I, again, I, I realize that the stat doesn't count, but but I think for context, if you watch that play, he, he made the – I mean, that play wasn't – the holding had nothing to do with him making the play. Uh, and so if you add that into his, his, his tallies for the year, he'd have seven catches for 230 yards and three touchdowns, which would make him wide receiver 23. So net net to your point right now, Kansas city seems to have the top tight end, uh, a top five receiver and two top 25 ish receivers. Um, I think, if when Hill comes back, I mean, right, it has that something has to give. I, even if even if Mahomes passes for fifty five hundred yards and fifty touchdowns, it, something has to give. So I'm with you. I think when Tyreek Hill comes back, the available pie for everybody else shrinks clearly. That, that because there's no reason to think they're not going to give Tyreek a full complement of snaps and he's not going to be dominant again. So I think I mean, and this is what do we really know here, Pat? Right, but I think if I had to handicap it, I'd say Hardman's the loser. Just because he's playing the, the position Hill plays, he's running the same routes. So it just seems to me, with Hardman being a rook, I just, that he would he would just be relegated to effectively a, a, a very minimal role um, and, and go back to irrelevance for for redraft leagues. Um, and then what happens to Robinson is I think he's more of a boomer bust wide receiver three from there, uh, but probably someone because of the upside of being he, if he's just the guy that's open in any given week. Um, he's a heck of a great wide receiver three because I, I don't know about how you are, but for me, when I build my rosters, generally if things go right and injuries don't eat up my depth, I try and have two reliable high volume receivers as my one and two. 
And then I try and have two or three guys that I plug in as my three that have high volatility. I mean, they can have some terrible weeks, but when they hit, they hit big. So those are usually, you know, deep, deep guys, guys that play, uh, you know, vertical route, you know, run vertical routes mostly and stuff. So, so, so I think for me, um, I'm, I'm viewing it as Hardman as the loser when Tyreek Hill comes back. So to whatever extent, if anyone has Hardman right now, after the big game, maybe if he has another big game this coming week, I would try and trade him if he can. Not sure if anyone's going to give you a ton for him, but he's the one I could see going to almost irrelevance when Hill's back. Um, Robinson, I'm guessing because he's clearly the three when Hill comes back, I wonder what you can get for him. I mean, I was able to acquire him in fab in a bunch of leagues for much cheaper than I expected after his breakout game. So uh, it just comes down to what other people think of them. But I think Hill isn't going to be back for what, at least another week or two, probably. If not, if not more, we don't really know for sure. So if they keep putting up big numbers, then yes, I, I'd be more inclined to sell either one of them high if possible. Um, because it just, I, why, why would we assume Hill won't step right back in um, and, and get his, his, and eat, you know, his 25% target share like he always has. Sure. And I think that's the right take on it. And it's, it's tricky to get these questions. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen on, Twitter with a lot of guys asking me whether they should pick up Hardman or Robinson or I don't know, DJ Chark. And, you know, it kind of depends. I mean, the next couple of weeks, I'd, I'd much rather start one of the Chiefs guys than Chark, but definitely yeah. for the long haul, who's going to have more value. And, you know, then again, we could see uh, another Sammy Watkins foot injury. Uh, I hope not Knockwood because I've got him in a couple of leagues, but um, you know, it, so I don't think, Hardman and, and Robinson are, are totally unusable uh, once Hill comes back. I mean, maybe we see something, some changing circumstance that makes them playable again. But, um, yeah, they certainly have value now. And, uh, you know, I, I could see the case for either trying to explore the market or just riding it out and, and trying to keep those guys stashed in case, you know, the, the changing tides go back in their favor again. Um Jason, one guy I've been very anxious to ask you about. Uh, you pushed back against preseason Kyler Mania. Um, ah, mm, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been an interesting three weeks for him. What do you think of Murray's performance so far, and how would you value him as a fantasy asset going forward? Yeah, I mean, I definitely was the uh, the, the flag waver of, of the anti-Cardinals uh, uh, movement in the preseason, I think. Um, and that was a scary place to be for me because full disclosure, I, I was fairly low on Mahomes last year. Uh, I wasn't negative on Mahomes like I was Kyler, um, but I, I wasn't targeting him as, as my QB two. Um, even though other people that I respect, especially Matt Waldman, fellow football guy who was all over Mahomes, uh, were saying to target him. And needless to say, if, if you had, you pretty much won your league. But anyway, back to uh, Murray. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Pat, I think he's right about where I thought he would be. Um, I had him ranked QB 16 in our final preseason rankings. He's at QB 14 through three weeks. Uh, and he, as you know, I mean, these are tiers, so it's not much of a difference between 14 and 16, really. Um, I will say that... Uh, where I appear to have been wrong is is the projected pace of play. I think those who drafted the Cardinals because they thought Kingsbury would run a very fast offense, that appears to be the case. Um, Murray has 137 attempts through three games. Um, I mean, that would be an NFL record, 730 attempts. So uh, I presume that's not sustainable, but but if it is, uh, a lot of attempts can mask a lot of uh, 
other sins. Um, but honestly, I think in terms of fundamentally questioning his place um, at the table, I think so far so good in my criticism. His underlying metrics aren't very encouraging. He's averaging six yards an attempt, which that, I mean, that ranks 34th in the league and there's only 32 teams. So, uh, <laughs> so that, that's not, you know, he's pretty much dead last among anyone that started a game uh, in the league right now in yards per attempt. He's 28th in completion percentage. Uh, and he's been sacked 16 times in three games. I mean, 16 times, more than 10% of his dropbacks, which again, in terms of NFL records, that would be this pace. He's on an 85 sack pace, uh, which would be an NFL record and uh, make uh, it would wipe, uh, you know, Carr and, and Watson's names from the record books. I, 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 no quarterback can handle that kind of, of pain, uh, much less someone with, with Murray's build. So um, yeah, I, I actually feel pretty good about avoiding the Cardinals just because while I think he's had moments and hasn't been an abject disaster, uh, I think a lot of that has been volume driven. And I think any, any guy, he's taking such a pounding. Um, I just don't see how this ends well for him. Really a bizarre recipe so far with the high volume, the low efficiency, the sacks, um, a little bit of rushing mixed in, but not enough. Um, it, it is just sort of a, a weird and volatile concoction. And I, I just, uh, you know, don't know if, if things smooth out a little bit, takes fewer sacks, um, you know, gets the completion percentage back up. Uh, yeah, it's just like he's feeling his way in this offense. And like, I don't know how much the story changes in the weeks to come, but yeah, I don't think he's a guy you can run out there every week as your starting quarterback. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, Jason, I've heard Sigmund Bloom talk about his origin story at Football Guys and how he was a regular on the message boards and how it was always such a thrill for him to be acknowledged by Jason Wood in a thread. And uh, apparently you guys were impressed enough to make Sig part of the team. But what was your origin story with Football Guys? I mean, it's one of the oldest and most revered fantasy football content sites in the business, and you've been there for years. So when and how did you first hook up with Joe Bryant and David Dodds? Yeah, geez, uh, sir, it's been, a, uh, it's been a long time. Um, well, first of all, let me say regarding Sigmund, uh, Sig, uh, he's, he's, he's way too kind. I mean, uh, you know Sig as well, and I think um, you know, Sig has is, is become a, a rock star of, of the industry, really. Uh, I mean, sort of a, a in, in as much as we have a very horizontal uh, uh, structure at football guys, he, he, he to me is the sort of the, the shining luminary of us in terms of uh, at least pu- the public, right? He's, he's, he's like the face of football guys in many ways, but, uh, but um, you know, it's, it, we're ridiculously lucky to have, have him as part of football guys. And, uh, and I'm not sure if you, if you know this, but, but uh, Sig is, is actually part owner in football guys as well. So he's, he's, he, he was, he's been so phenomenal. And this is year for years, years now, he's been so phenomenal that, uh, that Joe and David, you know, brought him aboard as an owner. And I think that was the right move. But um, as to me, well, um, you know, I think we're, we're roughly the same age, you know, we're both OGs in our own rights. And I like many of us now that, that uh, do this quote unquote professionally, um, you know, I was just playing fantasy football in its earliest incarnations with buddies getting that USA today newspaper and looking at the box scores, right. And, and sports weekly and, and trying to figure out scores and the internet was taking off. And um, I, I, after college, I, I was, well, I still make my living this way, but, but, but as a more of a grunt back then, I was just doing tons, you know, 90, hundred hour weeks working on, on statistical modeling in Excel and, and, uh, 
and doing fundamental analysis on, on tech companies. And so uh, it's just how my mind works. And just doing analysis was just a thing I always liked to do. And I, I, I ended up one night coming across this site on the internet called cheatsheets.net. And it was just a message forum where other people were um, like minds just in there talking football, you know, debating football, debating uh, schemes, debating fantasy. And um, the most vibrant part of the, of the, of the forum was, was the fantasy discussion. And it was this eureka moment that I, I found like my brethren. Um, I, Cause I, I just, my buddies were nowhere near as into fantasy back then as I was. And, um, so we just, I became just obsessed with the site, like a lot of other people and just in there all the time. And there was not a thread that I didn't chime in and, and offer my opinion <laughs> in. And, um, and, and eventually, um, I befriended Joe and David who, who owned Joe owned cheatsheets.net. And, um, we just struck up a friendship, um, you know, internet friendship, what have you, uh, chatted and, and Joe called me one day and said, Hey, by then he knew what I did for a living and stuff. And he said, Hey buddy, I, uh, David and I think we're going to make go of this as business. And it seems for your listeners that maybe you're newer this, when they, when they, when they called me with that, that, that was, that was a very, very, um, unusual idea, right? That this was way before fantasy is what it is today, right? This is, this, this is way before it was a proven business. And uh, really, there was nobody definitively making money off of it, uh, at least in terms of just selling advice. There were there were ESPN and Yahoo had started to host leagues and that sort of thing, but but nobody was making money off of selling advice. In fact, so anyway, he calls me and he says, "Hey, I'm think we're thinking of doing this, and uh, uh, would you would you look at our business plan type of thing?" And and uh, I was happy to, so I I kind of looked at the business plan and talked me through that. And then he said, "Hey, by the way, I, I you're so active on the on the forum." we need writers. How would you have the time or interest in, in writing articles for us? And I, I said, Oh, that, that at the moment I was like, that sounds super fun. Like just again, just more about placating my own ego. I'm like, Oh, that would be great. Like people want to hear my opinions on, on football. That, that would be awesome. So I just came home and I told my wife, I'm going to start writing for Joe and David's new fantasy site. And she would just look at me, you know, so, okay, whatever. That sounds fun. Like, do you, do you? Um, yeah. And, and really the rest is history. I mean, that was 18 years ago, I think, believe it or not. And uh, I remember a very prominent, I'm not going to say who they are, but a person who is very prominent in the fantasy world now uh, and was a, a friend of, of ours um, when, when, when Joe and David told them that we were going to start charging a subscription fee for our advice, they laughed hysterically, uh, raised their beer to us and said, you'll be lucky if you get 500 people to do that, to pay you for that. Um, and, you know, 18 years later, as you said, not only are we still kicking, but, you know, we have one of the you know, the most successful subscription only businesses in the, in the, in the, in the industry. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's super credit to Joe and David who, uh, I don't know if you've met them or know them at all, but, but they're like Felix and Oscar, they're extremely different people in most things, but they have incredible respect for each other. And they fostered an environment of, of, of a very horizontal environment where, uh, everybody is, uh, tasked, uh, to do what they're, good at doing and we're all adults. And as long as, um, as long as you do that, you pretty much have a lot of freedom, both creatively and structurally to, uh, to, to, to be yourself. And I think that's, uh, that is a, an awesome thing and, and, and hard, uh, as someone who's invested in an insane number of businesses over the years, it's a hard thing to maintain as you grow. And they've done that. And I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. What they've built is, uh, just tremendous. And, and what you've 
helped build. And uh, it, it also comes with a year-end retreat in Vegas. Is that right? Indeed, it does. Yes, we, we, we do get to, you know, again, it's one of those things where uh, it seems like so normal now, but this idea of creating a thriving business where everybody is over the internet and, and really nobody works near each other um, was fairly odd 15 years ago, uh, 18 years ago, but I mean, like, you know, even 15 years ago when we were starting to really grow and, and, and get pretty big. Um, and they, we just started having this get together just, just to meet really to meet each other. Right. I mean, um, and then that's the case for this, to this day, I, this past January, uh, after you and I did our, our last show together, uh, it was a couple weeks later, we, we went to the retreat and I mean, we have over 60 staffers now. So, uh, even, even for me, when I go to Vegas, I'm meeting new people each year. Uh, and, uh, it's a blast and it's a great chance to get to know the new people on staff. So it's an even better chance to catch up with with, uh, with people, um, you know, that you've become great friends and colleagues with, uh, and we always go during wildcard weekend. So it's just the perfect time to be a football guy and be there because we're all hanging out together. You get to, you know, bet and watch all the games. It's just a blast. Yeah. Oh man. That's awesome. Um, now you alluded to this, you have been a portfolio manager for a long time and you're now a, a managing director. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how how has your career influenced your managerial style in fantasy football? This this analytical approach you have to take to your job every day. I mean, what is that? How does it translate? Yeah, that I mean, that, that's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, well, um, as I as I alluded, I think the 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 love for the uh, the love for for the for for the for fantasy is is born out of the same thing that I think makes me an effective analyst, which is just. And I think you have it too, and and really anybody that 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 has made a career as an analyst in this business has it to some extent, which is you are generally a, you're generally a curious person. Um, you have to be able to um, want to uh, test hypothesis, and and that can be in a lot of different ways. There are guys that are purely numbers driven. There are guys that never look at a spreadsheet, and it's just purely what they see on film. And I think these days most of us are kind of cross right the hybrid of both of those we try some maybe you're or, or, or stronger at the modeling and, and statistical analysis some are stronger at uh because maybe they're ex-football players or, or coaches or whatever but but my point is is we all we try and have i think i think the best of us try and, and and have a lens where we watch a lot of football and then we also have the ability to take some of the underlying data and metrics and figure out what's meaningful um and i think that's the same kind of thing that 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 i do in in my career as a portfolio manager right which is being able to look holistically at a business or an industry and figure out um, where the strengths and weaknesses are, where the risks, where the opportunities are, and then try and put a model or structure around that. And and with that, you know, my job professionally is to then figure out if something is investable and um, what the, the the both the risks and the upside are in terms of whether it makes sense to fit into a portfolio. And it's really no different, bigger stakes certainly, but but no different than us sitting here trying to figure out if a player is it fits into the parameters of the draft pick where we can acquire them. So, um, you know, in terms of like management, I, I think it's, um, that's a little different, I think, because in, in, in my professional life, we have to very, it's very important for someone to, um, to, to, to be where the buck stops, if you will. Right. Like, so, so even though we similarly delegate to our team, uh, a lot of responsibility, just like I said, football, football guys d- does ultimately like the buck has to stop with someone. And that's myself and, and my partner, the CEO, right? So any decision, good, bad, or indifferent, we have to own. 
uh, particularly the bad ones, right? Like that's our job. We have to take responsibility for them. Um, whereas at, at football guys, because even though it's a, a very much a very real business, I think it's still predicated more on fun. And, and honestly in fantasy football, um, as you know, Pat, uh, your hit rate to be good at that job is incredibly low relative to the hit rate I need in my professional job. Right. Whereas to say if in fantasy, if, if we're right, 55% of our calls in a year, we're, we're rock stars, right? Like we had one of our best years ever. We probably are, uh, you know, we're probably winning most of our leagues. And, and, and if our subscribers or, or, or uh, customers took our advice, they're, they're thrilled with us in, in my professional line of work. If, if I'm only right 55% of the time, um, I have major issues, right? So, 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 you know, again, stakes are different, like stress is different, but I think the process, the idea of, of being systematic and, and I don't just mean quantitatively. I mean, if you just have a process that you trust and iterate, I think that's the key to, to success. So I'm sure you pay probably very close attention to the asset mix and balancing stability with volatility, I suppose, and, and possible upside. So you were in a lot of drafts, season-long leagues and best balls. Are there any guys in whom you have invested heavily and as of now have major regrets about it? Uh, sure. Like I said, right. Our hit rate, if we're, if we're lucky in a year is 55%. So, um, yeah, no doubt. Um, first of all, I will say, uh, and we were talking off air before we started recording. I mean, I think for, for knock on wood, this is, this feels like a, a very good start to the year for, for, for my vantage, um, versus last year, I felt kind of just a horrible start, um, for me. So if you asked me the same question 12 months ago, I, I would have had a laundry list of things I felt like I got wrong. But, uh, but that said, there, there are a couple that, that certainly come to mind. I was a card carrying, um, uh, flag bearer, torch bearer for the Todd Gurley bandwagon. Uh, and, um, you know, and I, I, I really carried that torch from, from early May through the end of, of draft season. Um, and, and look, I mean, the part about me thinking he was going to be healthy seems to be right. I mean, he hasn't been a, an, an inkling of, of worry about his health, but man, oh man, uh, I'm not sure that ultimately mattered because they're just not using him enough to justify the the first round grade that, uh, that I insisted he should have. Uh, right. He's, he's just not being used a lot. The Rams offense is out of sync. They're, they're not throwing to him at all, which I just, I'm mystified by. Um, so, so that's troubling because I certainly, uh, implored lots of people to draft him aggressively. Uh, and then the other, the other thing that I just have to, I think, wave my, my, the white flag on and say the other side was right on this debate was a lot of people were off the Vikings passing attack this year because of what happened in those final three games, um, when Stefanski took over and they became super run heavy. And I just didn't think that it was feasible in today's NFL to have a quarterback like cousins that you're paying all that money to who's been a top 10 fantasy quarterback in every year he's been a starter. And you have those two receivers like Diggs and Thielen. I just didn't think it was possible to become a regressive run first offense uh, and, and have it work. But, you know, listen, the, three weeks in, that's exactly what they are, right? I mean, Cousins is throwing what, like 20 times a game and uh, they look like a pretty good team even under that structure. So, yeah, I, I think if you – I mean, the Cousins part isn't that big a deal because, again, with quarterbacks, there's, there's been plenty of – you could have – you probably should have already dropped Cousins by this point to pick up someone else like a Josh Allen or, um, you know, someone like that. But but uh, but Thielen and Diggs, Thielen has been okay so far because he scored a bunch of touchdowns, but he's become incredibly touchdown dependent, and Diggs has been an absolute disaster because he's not scoring touchdowns. So, 
Um, I think those two calls, I'm worried I steered people wrong, myself included. And then the last one I'll throw out there is just that I was a huge proponent of Hunter Henry this year. Um, I just thought that coming back from the ACL more than 12 months, he was fully healthy. Uh, I think talent-wise, there's no reason he can't be right up there with Kelsey and Kittle and Ertz. And there was just tons of target share available with Tyrell Williams being gone and, and Mike Williams' knee being banged up. So I thought he was just a shoe in to, to, to be a, an elite fantasy tight end and needless to say got hurt again. So you, yeah, know, you get them all again on that one, my friend. Yeah, no, I'm saying right. That, that one is not like, I don't feel badly about that one. The other two, I, I feel like I, I, I was presented with the alternative side of the argument and, and just push back against it. And it seems like I have to, you know, say uh, kudos to, to those of you that, that, that took those opposite sides. Well, since you've uh, been to the confessional, I also have to ask you which, which of the guys you drafted frequently have paid dividends so far. Sure. Well, the one I have to, again, say this gets back to props to my fellow football guys, because um, we, as I'm sure you have with your crew, we have a ton of debate internally behind the scenes about players and strategies and those sorts of things. And uh, early in the preseason this year, I was fairly down on Lamar Jackson. And when I say early, I mean like late April, post-draft, early May. I just, I thought I'm, I'm actually a Louisville, believe it or not, a Louisville fan, college football fan. So I saw almost really all of pretty much, I think all every snap, if not most every snap of, of Jackson's collegiate career. And I just didn't think that he had what it took to be an effective NFL passer. Um, but to some of my fellow staff's credit, particularly I'll shout out uh, one of our guys, Dan, Dan Simpkins, they just kept pushing me to reconsider and like throwing me tape to look at and kudos to them for getting me to reconsider. So by the time draft season ramped, I had done a full 180. Um, I had come to the conclusion because of of their getting me to rethink his passing aptitude that he probably was the best value at quarterback because you could get him as your QB2 really whenever you wanted. And he had the upside to be a QB1 because every quarterback in league history with 700 plus rushing yards has been a QB1. Um, now, a lot of those were Vic. So I thought, you know, worst case, the dude's going to be a QB1 because of his legs. And if they're right and he can throw the ball, man, oh man, this kid could be special. So I think I have... Jackson in more than 50% of best balls. And I have him, I counted before because I knew we were doing the show. I counted him. I have him on 20 redraft rosters. So, so very happy about that. Yeah. Uh, and then with that also, I, I, I got to say the other thing that seems to be panning out for me is I was very much against taking one of those big three tight ends where they were going. Um, I, I was open to the idea that they would be worth taking there, but I just didn't like the way my team shook out if I took them. So I committed to completely punting the position and essentially in every draft drafted some combination of Mark Andrews, Jason Witten, and Darren Waller. And um, needless to say, I mean, at least through three weeks, that's, that's been a very, very profitable, positive EV move. So yeah, those two things are, that's like I said, it's been, it's been a good start to the year. And I think those are two main reasons why. Yeah. Cutting corners at tight end with Waller and Andrews. I mean, that is an incredible EV move because those guys are looking like, you know, top, top 10 for sure, but maybe top six tight ends. And yeah. I mean, if, if Andrews is healthy, right. I mean, he, he whiffed this week. But. Sure. But um, yeah, Waller, I mean, just practically free and my God, is he producing? Um, how should we feel Jason about Baker Mayfield going forward? Should we be <laughs> <laughs> worried? Right. Worried. Yeah. And I, and I don't say that like I had some kind of uh, crystal ball. I think I had him QB8, QB9, somewhere around there. 
I don't remember if it was eight or nine, uh, my final ranking, but if I had him as a QB one, so I've been wrong too. Um, but it's worrisome, right? I mean, uh, I, you know, well, you can tell me if, if you agree or not, but I just feel like the hype tra- hype train with the Browns just got out of control. And, uh, and again, I say that meaning I got sucked into it too. Um, uh, Mayfield looked good his first in week one. Uh, he completed, I think two thirds of his passes. Right. But that was, that fell to 54% week two. It's, it was just 50% this past game. And he's got, I think three interceptions in three games, uh, man, five, rather, I'm sorry, five interceptions and only three touchdowns in three games. Um, he's not running the ball. He's not scrambling and he's been sacked 11 times. So he's not Kyler Murray level sacks, but man, 11 times is a ton. That offensive line looks terrible. So I just, I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, you through, Generally speaking, um, and again, a shout out to another staffer, Adam Harstad, who is uh, in- incredibly good with deep statistical dives. Adam's always beating the mantra that uh, it takes four weeks of, of, of in-season NFL play for what happens this year to be more predictive than what happened last year, right? So we're st- we still have a whole other week to go before we can really start drawing on what's happening this year and, and giving it more weight than what we saw last year. So in that regard, like you can't put a flag in Mayfield and say it's a disaster or it's over, but yeah, you have to be told. I mean, right now you, do you, would you feel good about starting him? I certainly, after what we've seen through three weeks, I, I I'm hoping I have somebody like a Lamar Jackson or, you know, even geez, even like a Philip rivers or maybe a Tom Brady. Cause he was going late. Like hopefully you have somebody like that, that you're, you're starting and you're just hoping that Mayfield rounds back. In no. Shape. And that's the crazy thing I, that I, I think I also had him like QB right around QB eights, give or take one. And, you know, that seems like being way out over your skis on Baker Mayfield. That was almost conservative for where he was going. Yeah. I think he was like six or seven, right? Like, in, right. In I mean, it was, it was conservative enough that I didn't get him in any redraft leagues. I, I might've got him in like one best ball, but um, and maybe that's what we were missing. The fact that, you know, were we willing to bet, this much in an offense that is running out Greg Robinson at left tackle and Eric Curry as a starting guard. I mean, it's just, man, I mean, that that's something I think we just sort of didn't pay enough attention to with this team, maybe the offensive line. Um, here's the other one I wanted to ask you about, Jason, and you, you sort of mentioned this on Twitter, and, and I'm not sure I know the answer. Uh, is Rex Burkhead better than Sony Michelle? Uh, I, I say, uh, because I was all in on Michelle this year. He, that is one again, where I guess if you ask me again, he, he's a guy I, sh- I should have probably included in the sense that, uh, in my regrets, because I, and I didn't put him in, in, I didn't put him in the list when you asked me that, because I, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Michelle yet. Um, but he's certainly been disappointing me. Two of the three games this year, he's averaged one yard to carry one yard. Right. So, I mean, that's hard to do. Um, so yeah, listen. I the answer to your question. Uh, I apologize for being long winded. Is is yes at least right now. I think I think in terms of of if we're talking pure talent, pure upside, um, who who can be a league winner for you if if he gets right? No, Michelle's better than Burkhead, uh, right? He's Michelle has franchise caliber ability. We saw it last postseason. Uh, Burkhead is twenty nine years old and seemingly never. He's ne- for some reason he's never been the guy that the Patriots have felt comfortable building around. Um, but yeah, but but what we've seen so far this season, uh, how could you say he's not been better? I mean, Burkhead has 112 yards on 24 carries, 
Sony Michelle has 108 yards on 45 carries. Um, Sony Michelle has zero zip zilch receptions. Burkett has 13, right? Michelle's fumbled at least what once, twice. I think he's lost one. He's lost fumbled twice, lost one. Uh, Burkett hasn't fumbled. So listen, I, you know, if you've watched the games in two of the three games, Michelle was the clear starter, right? That's the cure pal cow. And then he, he, he lost the, he lost that role at some point mid game because of poor play to Burkhead. And then Burkhead's been the closer and played well. So Belichick is a mercenary. Belichick does what he thinks will win the game. We've seen that time and time again. So logically speaking, if there's ever such a thing as rational coaching, Belichick is a rational coach. You have to think that the, 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 the weeks of Michelle getting the chance to be the stud at the start of the games is going to start dwindling to the point where Burkhead gets the start soon if Michelle doesn't turn around with the quickness. So, I, yeah, I'm definitely, as someone who has a lot of Michelle, you can't drop, you shouldn't drop him, you shouldn't, but another guy where ideally he's on your bench, but, I mean, running back is such a train wreck league-wide right now, like you probably can't afford to bench Michelle if you drafted him. So, I mean, for me, he's still going to be in a lot of lineups with my fingers crossed. Yeah, and I fell into that trap too. I mean, just seeing how well he performed down the stretch last season and in the playoffs and, and just pounding in touchdowns and um, figuring that the Patriots were going to have those favorable game scripts to really you know, establish the run. And maybe it didn't matter if Sonny Michel didn't catch 20 or 25 passes that, you know, even in a, a half point PPR league, he could still have value just by, you know, grinding out 1300 rushing yards and, and punching in double digit touchdowns. But uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem to, to be working that way to this point. Um, Jason, one last thing before I let you go, and I really do appreciate your time. Um, in redraft leagues, did you tread lightly with the rookies this year, or were there some guys that you were scooping up in in multiple drafts? I mean, like which players in this class have impressed you the most so far, and you know, did you, were you on any of them? Yeah. Um, well, listen again. I think uh, for for you and I, like for for people that do a ton of leagues, and um, I think it's 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 hard for for us. The the again, I put it in air quotes, but like. The, the professional analysts for, to avoid rookies, right? Because we tend to over-index in more complex leagues, I would say, than the average listener, right? Like we, we tend to have more deep leagues, your 14-teamers, your your deep, you know, your dynasty leagues, things where generally we're, we're rostering much deeper uh, rosters in general. So I think if, if you're in those kind of leagues, you obviously have to really know rookies well and, and, and take stances on them. Um, so yes, I certainly have a lot of, of rookie exposure depending, but um, I guess I'll just I'll, I'll just give you a quick hit on the major positions. Uh, um, as I mentioned, I mean on the on the you know uh, the, the tight end side. I mean it's I think generally the rule of thumb is you, you avoid rookie tight ends, and um, I, I pretty much did that. I mean I have some Hawkinson shares, and it looked like it was genius to have Hawkinson shares that after that week one, but he's looked very much more like what we thought he was going to look like in weeks two and three. So I'm, I'm not going to brag about that, but uh, but. I you know, didn't touch Noah Fant one or the other. Uh, quarterback, um, not really any exposure in redraft. I mean, as you know, we just talked about, uh, not, I wasn't a Kyler Murray guy, so I avoided him. Uh, and I, I have no shares of, of Haskins or, or Daniel Jones. Just, uh, just uh, safer. I mean, I have some dynasty shares of Haskins, but uh, but no. And, and I really made no serious bids for Gardner Minshew um, after his his week one um, debut. So, so not really exposed there. At running back, I mean, I think these days – with running back being such a barren wasteland, you have to have rookie exposure, right? Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad to say I did target Josh Jacobs in that tier. Um, and it's, it's been a bit of a mixed bag through three weeks, but I'm generally pleased with what I've seen of him. I think in the games where Oakland has a, a reasonable game script, I think he's going to be quite effective. And so I, I still feel good about having Jacob shares. Um, and then late, I, I definitely drafted a ton of the likes of Alexander Madison, Justice Hill, uh, Darwin Thompson, Reichel Armstead, because they were cheap. Um, and in some leagues with thinner benches, I've dumped some of those guys for waiver claims already. Uh, in others, I'm holding them and, and waiting like lottery tickets if, if I can, if I don't need the spots. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty happy in that generally I didn't buy into paying up for the likes of, of Montgomery or, uh, um, Sanders, as we talked about, or, or Daryl Henderson, especially. So, so far so good there. And then at receiver, um, I targeted DK Metcalf an insanely heavy amount. Um, and I think I feel good, not great about that so far. Um, I, I, I think he's, he's looked good to an extent, like when he's been targeted, but he hasn't been targeted a tremendous amount. So I'm okay with, with where he is. Um, he, he wasn't someone you had to draft as a starter, so he hasn't hurt you one way or the other, even though he's been a little erratic. And I feel good about the fact that he seems to be on a trajectory to be, uh, one of their focal points. If, if not now, you know, soon enough. Uh, I also definitely targeted guys like AJ Brown and Keyshawn Johnson of the Cardinals and Preston Williams of the Dolphins um, as, as end game picks, you know, last, last receiver picks. Uh, I think the jury's still out for those guys. Um, they've had moments, but they're on pretty bad offenses. And so uh, we'll see, like they could definitely be guys where I end up having to cut in a week or two to pick up somebody, especially once the bye week gauntlet starts. But so far, uh, you know, I'm okay with, with them and, and still have high hopes and, uh, and then um, Terry McLaren was listen. Anybody that that, that comes on your show and says that we're, that we're targeting Terry McLaren uh, before the draft, I think you know I, I need to see the proof because I, I don't think many of us really were on him uh, in during draft season. But after being at the Eagles game against the Skins and watching the kid shred us in Week One, I definitely uh, used my you know eyeball bias or presence bias to uh to overweight my fab bids on him after week one and and feel good about that still so yeah so i mean overall um definitely have some rookie exposure but i didn't i didn't count on any of them to aside from maybe josh jacobs as an impact player and uh and i feel pretty good about that i wish i had gotten more exposure to some of these rookie receivers uh i have picked up metcalf in a few leagues where he was available early totally with you the targets really haven't been there, but, um, you know, seeing is believing with this guy. He's looked sensational, and I was kind of skeptical of him coming into the season, just that that unique David Boston body type. Um, yeah, no and, doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's just such a physical mismatch for any defender he goes against. And, um, boy, if there is one mulligan, one realistic mulligan I wish I could have, I wish I could turn all my Andy Isabella shares into Terry McLaurin shares. And, uh, <laughs> <turn back laughs> right, or Hollywood Brown, exactly. right? Exactly. Or Hollywood Brown. Brown yeah. But, um, well, Jason, it has been great having you here. Um, we have, have bantered on Twitter for a while, and uh, really way back when I first heard you on Sigmund Bloom's um, On the Couch podcast, and and the episodes he where he had you on were always some of my favorites and i just oh, yeah nice. just really enjoyed the rapport you guys had and uh you know i'm i'm glad that you have uh now been a two-time guest and and hopefully this will not be the last time um so yeah man thanks for being here and uh we'll have to have you back again soon 
Thanks so much, Pat. I mean, again, this uh, feeling is mutual. I, I, uh, I, I vacillate between loving and hating Twitter, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the part I love are a group of us that I think are rational and reasonable and open to being wrong. Uh, right. And, 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 and are open to having, uh, people challenge your assertions in a, in a constructive way. And, and you're definitely a part of that as well. There's a ton of us, a ton of other people out there that I think are part of this, this crazy enclave, but, but um, yeah, it's, it's great. And, you know, I would, uh, I would love to uh, return the favor and have you on my podcast, but as I think we talked about in the, the last time I was on my podcast is, uh, is about comic books. So, uh, you know, unfortunately it's probably not your bellywick, but, uh, but yes, uh, it's, it's, it's a real honor to, uh, to be a two-time uh, attendee of this fantastic podcast. that is. uh in my every week queue. So thanks so much. And I, I uh, if I don't, well, I'll talk to you. I know I will talk to you on Twitter, but uh, I won't talk to you on the quote unquote air again. So let me formally wish you all the best of luck in uh, every league, save for the Scott Fishbowl, because uh, I plan on winning that. <laughs> but uh, you can be second. All right. I'll, I wish you second place. Oh, rest assured, I will not be winning the Scott Fishbowl this year. Uh, I'm just hoping to stay out of the 700s or 800s in, in overall rankings. Um, if you ever talk about, you know, mid to late 1970s Archie comics on your podcast, I'm your guy, Jason. And um, hey, before I let you go one more time, can you uh, let everyone know where to find you on Twitter? And um Maybe give a final plug to football guys. Oh sure, yeah. So um, as, as you mentioned, uh, my my football guys related Twitter handle is um, FBG for football guys. FBG Wood, uh, and uh, yeah, you'll find me there. I'm, I'm pretty active, I'd say, uh, but not annoyingly so. Like I'm not going to bombard your uh, your feed with 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 50 posts a day or anything like that. Some days I'm very active. I have something to talk about. Other days I'm, uh, you know, I don't have much to 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 chime in. So. Uh, I think I'm a decent follow, but we'll, we'll you know, leave it at that. Um, but yeah, uh, footballguys.com. Um, you know, we very, very proud to be a part of it. And uh, we are a subscription site that has been around for nearly 20 years. Um, and I think uh, for those that, that uh, want to try before you buy, uh, we have a, uh, I think, probably one of the best, if not the best in the business, uh, free email list. Uh, so if you go to footballguys.com, you will see, if you're not already a member, you will see a chance to sign up for that. Um, our co-CEO, Joe Bryant, curates that daily email. Again, he doesn't spam you. It doesn't bombard you with, with 57 emails. Uh, it's just, a, I think, an awesome daily email that hits on the high points uh, of the fantasy world and what we're doing. And he often will post uh, articles that are behind the paywall. He'll, he'll, he'll put them outside of the paywall for you all to see. So that's probably the best way to get a taste of what we have. And then the other thing, and I really have nothing to do with this other than I'm a huge fan of it myself, um, is we have a, a big apps development team led by uh, our, our head of development, Simon Shepard. And for a bunch of years now, we have had, um, uh, I think, excellent um, both draft and in-season uh, apps, um, one called the Draft Dominator for pre-draft and then in-season the League Dominator. Um, and for the first few years, those were uh, you know in the app stores for a, for a fee, uh, as most apps are. But this year, um, because we're so proud of what Simon did with the latest iteration, we're offering them for free this year. So you can just go to like, you know, if you're an Android guy, go to Android store. If you're an iTunes, Apple guy, just go to the app store, search for, uh, the league dominator and, uh, give that a try again. It's free. So, you know, try it for you. See if you see if what you think of it. But I think, uh, it's, the, you know, we've, I think it's our fourth year with the app 
And uh, I've always thought it was good, but I, uh, uh, and of course I am biased here, but I think it's excellent this year. I really do think we've, we've struck the balance between functionality and, uh, and, and optionality, which is a tough thing to do on a mobile app. And uh, so I would encourage everybody to give that a try. Yeah, Football Guys subscription is definitely worth your dime. And um, uh, you you haven't even mentioned the secret weapon. You guys have Dr. Gene Brammel, who, for my money, is the absolute best fantasy football injury guy out there as far as... Definitely. I mean, I, I look at Dave, I think David Chow uh, just started a, a, a subscription site for his injury takes. And uh, I see, and I think I like Dr. Chow just, just fine. I think he's an interesting guy. Seems like a nice guy. But I will say, I mean, and again... Uh, I know it's going to seem like I'm biased here, but to your point, I'm glad you brought up Gene because uh, Gene is extremely humble um, and he is, he is a practicing doctor. Uh, so he's, he's a pretty busy dude. Fantasy is a, par- a part-time gig, but in spite of all that, I mean, I think his takes are as comprehensive and on point as Dr. Chow's are uh, pretty much across the board. And, uh, and Gene is essentially free on Twitter sharing his views. And, uh, and if you're a football guy subscriber, you get all of that as part, part of the subscription. So I'm with you. Um, you know, Dr. Gene is like, now I have, I'm kind of, I'm lucky because I have him like on a, you know, the bat phone, I can text him <laughs> so, and get the, the, the quick take. But yes, I, I agree with you. That's, I, Gene is, is a fantastic asset. We're, we're thrilled to have him. Well, Jason, thanks again. Always great to talk to you. And uh, I know we'll be tweeting at each other soon, but uh, looking forward to having you back the next time already. And uh, yeah, I'll be in touch, man. Right on. And McLaurin just caught, just scored a touchdown while we were uh, wrapping up here. So there you go. Oh, very nice. <laughs> By the time they got on the board. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks again, Jason. All right. Have a great week, Pat. Okay, everyone. That's going to do it for today. Let me once again thank this week's guest, Jason Wood of Football Guys. Find him on Twitter at FBGWood. And be sure to check out the excellent content at footballguys.com. Thank you to my producer, Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. So good to have Calm back at the controls after his long California odyssey. Special thanks to Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. I really could not ask for a better tag team partner, and this podcast wouldn't be possible without her. Thank you, Melissa. You can find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. Thank you to International Jet Set for the music. And of course, my thanks once again to all of you guys and gals. Hope you enjoyed the show. I appreciate your willingness to put up with my Midwestern twang. I'll be back again next week with another great guest, and I sincerely hope you will be back with me. Now go out, kick ass, and take names in week four, and I will talk to you again soon. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in, are you?